Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with the professor, Sean Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with the Professor. Uh, with so much uncertainty going on as far as the start of training camp, as far as the virus, as far as how the NFL is going to be handling things with the Players Association, it's time to go to the right source to figure all this out. David Chow, Dr. David Chow, has been doing this for such a long time. And, of course, is probably the premier expert on injuries and tr- injury trends and you know what's going on. And of course, uh, you know, we the, fir- the first thing before we get started, David, is to uh, go ahead and because you know everybody was following you, reading you in the Union Tribune. I just want to see the first thing you can say right now is how everybody can kind of keep up on you and what you're going to be able to put out because your stuff is so great. Thank you so much. We're certainly uh, working hard on the second year of ProFootballDoc.com where we do the injury analysis and stuff. But for the everyday content. Uh, uh, just today, joined up formally with uh, Outkick, uh, uh, with uh, uh, the podcast and articles. And I've got editorial content control and uh, in terms of the medical stuff that I want to put out, and I think it's a good place for us to move forward and, and get wide access and house the articles. Of course, uh, and we'll and we'll get an update uh, later in the show again how to how to follow that. All right, but let's get started right now. First off, I guess the big question is, you know, do you have confidence that there will be a football season? I actually do, but I have to admit that maybe some of my thinking is wishful thinking, and I'm biased. Right? I want there to be a football season. I do a lot in football, so full disclosure there. And obviously, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. But if I were still a head team position in the league, I would be at the forefront of trying to handle and deal and get infectious disease experts to deal with the circumstances. I have confidence that there will be a season for several reasons. But let me say this. If a fan or a person in the public or a player has zero tolerance for getting COVID, there should not be a season, period, end of discussion. Uh, I believe it was revealed this morning by Tom Palacero that 72 NFL players so far have tested positive. I expect that number to at least double by the July 28th formal training camp reporting day because that's reflective of what's in society. There's probably uh, almost 3,000 players, so there should be about 150, give or take, positive. And to me, to find that early is good news before you mix them in the facility and get other people infected. But the reason why I'm optimistic about there being football, and I'm sorry for the long-winded answer, is two things. Number one, the, uh, the way the virus is transmitted, and number two, the structure and makeup of the NFL uh, and how players are paid. Number and the motivation. Number one is viral load is how the virus is transmitted. It's not one virus that can infect you. It's multiple, hundreds if not thousands. So it's not the movie Contagion. So people and the article, one of the first articles I put up at Outkick dot com is how the virus is transmitted and how players and coaches don't understand it right now. And what medically means is that the risk on Sunday is less than the risk the six days of the week in the facility because it's close contact for an extended period of time. It's not on Sunday the act of tackling someone 
that is high risk of transmission. As crazy as it sounds, staying in the offensive huddle throughout a game probably is a high transmission. Close quarters in a locker room is definitely a higher active transmission. Perhaps the bus ride over, if you're not separated, is a higher chance of transmission. And the NFL probably does a disservice by saying they're not going to allow the jersey exchanges at the end of the game because if you put a mask on to the end of the game, your optics would be fine and it would be low level of transmission. So it's viral load is the concept. and There's a good analogy uh, at the outtake site. Now, the second part of this, and John, you can speak to this as much or more than me, Baseball players and basketball players, you know, they were unfortunate because of the timing. And now they're coming back. But, you know, they've already lost the bulk of their salary. But they all, for the most part, have guaranteed contracts. And football players don't. So it's not just about whether you get money and get your money this year or not, the force majeure, whether it's there or not. The question is the downstream concern, because the players get 47.5% of the revenue. If the revenue isn't there because there's no TV, it's already down because of no in-person fans or very few. That's a hit to the salary cap. And for players like, you know, in Seattle there, Russell Wilson at $35 million is probably safe no matter what because he's Russell Wilson. Uh, but if the salary cap goes from $200 million to $150 million, Ben Rossberger at $34 million is a cap casualty. And there's a lot of other cap casualties and less money and free agency and so forth. So that could affect the NFL salary structure for years going forward. And that's one of the reasons why I believe the players and the, and the, and the owners will all be vested to play. Yeah, and see, I've been saying, uh, in fact, I just wrote a story for the Washington Post about this with the franchise tags. You know, only two of the 14 franchise players got deals. But what I also realize is that, uh, you know, you have to figure that next year they're going to go to a 17-game schedule. And so that will get more revenue in. And then, of course, that bumps the rate up to 48.5% for the players uh, as far as the salary cap. And now the next thing would be that, uh, you know, you do it so you're going to have a level cap. You know, it'll be a flat cap. But I went back to 2011 and 2012. And to your point, you know, there was a 20% decrease in the value of each position. And it went right down the line because of the flat cap. And that's what's going to happen next year. So, like, for example, you have Derrick Henry making 10.2 before he signed his deal as a running back and a franchise tag. I mean, the running back numbers are now going to probably be down to eight, if not lower. And that's going to affect just about every position. So getting deals done this year is more important, but also trying to get that level cap there. And that's why, you know, they need to try to see if they can get the 16 games in. Yeah, and you're you're certainly a much more qualified person to talk about that angle than than, than I am. But I tell you, the one thing now, going back to you, because and you know how much I chart things, and I know you you have the answers to this because you you chart even more than I do. Is that uh, J.C. Treader, the president of the union, uh, has actually I think done a pretty good job so far. But when he talked about uh, the, the negotiations, that he also brought up the injury factor because you go back to 2011 when there was no off-season program. Well, there was. 10 Achilles tendon tears in the first 12 days of practice around the league. Uh, Achilles tears doubled.
healed. There was more than 50 ACL tears and a, an increase of 44% as far as hamstrings, according to Treader. I mean, I, 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 back, I've been trying to dig back because I started uh, doing the Achilles and ACLs back in 2012, but you might have the number as far as Achilles tears in uh, 2011 and also uh, you know, the in, uh, injury impact. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, I don't have the numbers of the tip of my tongue. Qualitatively, I know what they are. Uh, acclimation is a real issue in terms of acclimation injuries, whether it's Achilles, ACL, or hamstring, or quad strains, or, or what have you. That is a real deal. So anytime there's a squabble, like the NFL and the NFLPA have about the preseason, both sides probably are right, and both sides are probably are wrong. It's kind of like the fight I, fight I broke up this morning, between my seven-year-old boy-girl twins, right? <laughs> both sides had a right, both sides had a wrong. And from the NFL's perspective, uh, I knew a long time ago they would cancel week one and four, one for fear of injury and preseason week four because no one wants to contract coronavirus and then miss the first week of the season. But they need to play week two and three in the NFL for several weeks. Uh, every Broadway play needs a dress rehearsal, especially when it's a new stage. And with COVID protocol, the way you travel, the way you stay in hotels, the way you bus to the facility, the way you exit the bus, the way you the locker rooms are set up, uh, the stadium protocols for the referees and the chain gang and TV crew and fans, no fans, etc. How you the sideline decorum, everything is different. And besides. There's new players and new coaches and, you know, play calling and, and handing off duties. You, you need the dress rehearsal. The reason why the NFL wants two games is you want all 32 stadiums to get a game, and that's how you do a home and away. That's why you need week two and three. So I understand where they're coming from. Uh, and the, from the player's perspective, I understand where they're coming from. Look, uh, the, a group of doctors got together, approved by the NFLPA and the NFL, and they said, you know, 48 days was the minimum time before you wanted to play a game. And uh, preseason week two would be short of that. But you got to also, I understand where J.C. Treader is coming from, but you also have to understand the NFL did not have a real offseason program, and they broached the subject with the players of let's come in early so you can get the 48 days. And the players said no. So, you know, J.C. Treader is right about the injury issue, but the players' unions are the ones that said they didn't want to come in. And I understand they're not getting paid extra to come in early. Who wants to work without getting paid? And that's what the preseason argument is about. They don't get paid for the preseason game, so why do they want to do it? But I think the ultimate compromise is to have the games, but, you know, go ahead and sit the veterans or people who are worried and play the young bucks that want to make a name for themselves and make the squad, and you still get the protocols worked out and the play calling and the COVID protocol but you don't risk the injury to the key guys that think they're already on the squad. Now, I know that uh, one of the things, and of course, there's going to be a big uh, conference call on Friday to get into this, and so hopefully there'll be some resolution, but, uh, you know, the uh, there's a the argument about the NFI list if you get a if you get the virus <clears throat> and of course the one thing I know uh, there's an active NFI list and there's a if a season ending NFI list and I have to think that uh, the NFI list is just a designation if you get the virus because then you're, you're going to sit for what ten days fourteen days or whatever and then hopefully you have the ability to move guys off practice squads to come and fill in but I would have to think that the only penalty that would cause somebody not to be paid would be if somebody goes out and parties and you know does something like that. 
So uh, everybody else would get paid no down payment unless they did something wrong. Well, I've been saying for a long time the NFL needs a coronavirus exemption list, roster exemption. Why? Number one, you know, with the with the fifty three players and the seven inactives, there are lots of weeks where, where teams have seven players that are injured, especially as the season goes on. So if you throw one or two more uh, coronavirus in there, uh, that's a stress on the squad. And the so to give some roster flexibility. But the other reason to have it and other sports have started it too, is to not have the subtle pressure on the player or the doctor, the unspoken pressure to rush somebody back because they're short. Give them all the time that they need on the coronavirus exemption uh, roster and uh, don't rush a player back if it's close because you don't want to get the rest of your team infected. That would be the bigger disaster. So take away the impetus for uh, trying to rush back. And, uh, yeah, so I think... And to your point, my guess is if you come in and you test positive, you're going to go on NFI uh, and be able to come off because it's preseason. But if you get it during the season, there may be different consequences, i.e., uh, where you're on NFI as opposed to but during the season, if you get it, I'm sure you're not going to be on NFI. You're going to get paid because you're not going to be able to prove where you got it, whether it was on your own or in the facility. So, uh that's going to be an uphill battle if the owners want to fight that one. One of the things that's been added to the negotiations in the past two weeks has been the uh, you know the states that are having the biggest problems with the thirty percent positive testing rates and all those different things. You know, California, Arizona, Florida, Georgia now is in the mix. There's probably about ten or eleven uh, states that have it, but the hot spots. What they they've brought up the idea. It's like, what do you do with the cities that have the hot spots and the teams that have the hot spots? What uh, suggestions do you have for them? Well, whether a team has a hotspot or not, the first thing, obviously, is you know you got to comply with uh, uh, the local regulatory rules, whether city, county, or state, and uh, the NFL is going to have to negotiate that. That's a part that I can't predict uh, related to the shutdown of football in a certain area or not. But whether you're in a hotspot state or not, or hotspot area or not, I'll say something else that I think sounds controversial, but I don't think it is if you think about it. You know, you're more likely to get coronavirus in the six days a week in the facility than you are on Sundays, especially from tapping someone, and we talked about that. But I also think you're more likely to get it in general in your hours away from the facility than at the facility, because at the facility, everyone is tested, but in the general public, they're not. So whether it's at home and your kids uh, went to daycare uh, or, uh, you know, whatever, uh, you know, you went to a birthday party of a family member or you went to the grocery store or whatever it is, or your neighbor came over, whatever it is, uh, or whether you go to a restaurant or not, the risk of exposure there is higher. So if I were still with an NFL team, I would be sitting down with the players and coaches to make them understand what and where the risk is because whether you're in a hotspot state or not, I think it can be a true competitive advantage if you get players to buy in. If you convince the coaches and the veteran players to buy in, they can sort of self-police guys and say, let's do the right thing for us, for each other, and to try and win a Super Bowl ring. Let's not end up 
beating down four offensive linemen in a given week and basically uh, throwing the game because somebody was silly and going out and et cetera. So uh, even though the NFL teams are not in a, quote, strict bubble, uh, having personal accountability, responsibility, and being in a relative isolation at home is going to be an important part of having a successful football season. You know, see, my, my suggestion is that you create a bubble in two areas. One, of course, uh, is at the, at the facility because you have more control there than you do anything else. And then a hotel. And my suggestion would be, okay, if you're in a hot spot, just for the safety of your family and the safety of everybody else, uh, you stay in the hotel, the transportation, try to be as clean as possible, give everybody back and forth until this uh, wave, this you know, extension of the first wave goes away. Uh, and, you know, you try to do that for some period of time. And if the numbers start coming down, then you can start uh, leaving and going home and doing that. But to try to have control so that you don't have uh, any any risks? Well, you know, unfortunately, there always is going to be risk. And if you look at the Orlando NBA bubble, uh, I've been outspoken in saying valiant effort, but I not I'm not in love with the bubble concept for this reason. It's all your eggs in one basket. And for the NFL, it would be the, what you're proposing, John, would be 32 different baskets. So I suppose that's better than all in one basket. But a bubble is practically very hard. Uh, I've already, we've already heard of three players. There's been players that opted out of the bubble, but there have been three players already that violated the bubble protocol, whether it's uh, getting food or food delivery or stepping across the zone or whatever. It's not that easy uh, to get the compliance in terms of what's going on in the bubble, and it's very hard to police that and really control the ins and outs. I mean, just for example, for me, and I'll just take it personally here, if you told me I would have to move my, could go to work, you know, safely, but then I would have to come home to a hotel room bubble where my seven, seven, and three-year-old and the puppy dog now have to reside in a hotel room and have my wife quarantined there. I don't know what I would do. I don't know that I could, if I had to financially, I'm sure I could get it done, but I think my wife would go crazy and the kids would go crazy and they'd all drive me crazy in that scenario. So I don't know that that's as easy as practical as you think. Or, you know, uh, what about, you know, if your wife is pregnant or your mom gets sick and you want to go visit? Or I mean, this bubble concept is not that easy to execute, is all I'm saying from a practical perspective. Yeah, but I'm saying it's on a, a kind of a temporary basis, and you know, you don't go home. You have your family at home, and you just try to go through how many weeks this could take to get the numbers down, and then if you need to make an adjustment, then you say, okay, then you can go home. But I'm just trying to think that uh, you know, keeping players in an environment in that in the bad uh, states that uh, you know they can at least protect themselves a little bit more and be protected. Yeah, I think we're talking the same thing, yeah. and relatively, you're just suggesting one hotel. I'm suggesting uh, 53 hotels in their own homes. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like isolating in your own homes. I think we're talking the same kind of uh, concept. Whether you, I mean, I do think it's quite safe to drive in your own car, car, pull into your own garage or driveway, and go into your own home. Now, of course, the risk there for home is in whether your kids bring in or you know others that you live with. But that probably would be the same in the hotel room unless you're really telling players that you can't be with family. And uh, that would be a hard pill to swallow for a lot of the guys, just like for a lot of us in society. 
Okay, so now give us the uh, update again on how to follow David Chow because, again, you do a great job breaking down every injury that happens in games, giving us uh, all the information as far as you know recovery times and everything else. Well, outkick.com is a new, new spot. I'm proud to say I have, a, I have a, a, a tab there that will have all the articles as well as the podcast, profootballdoc.com for the medical nitty-gritty details of injuries and prognostication for players and just in general information on Twitter at ProFootballDoc. David Chow, thank you so much, and uh, stay safe. Thank you, John. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.